Can you say what you mean by saying the opposite? Author Nick Hornby and satirist and musician Simon Kvam discuss the overconsumption of irony, and irony is drama and inclusion. Does irony conceal who you are, or does it actually make it more transparent? Writer and radio host Torben Sangild moderates the talk. This talk is presented in collaboration with Politikens Forlag. You're listening to a Heartland podcast. I very rarely, I think, say what I mean to my children or my family or, or whatever, uh, and it annoys and confuses them, but that's part of the fun. What about you, Simon? Yeah, I, um, I was a bit nervous about this topic because uh, I, I, I'm not sure what I have to say on irony, because I think I use it all the time. I can't... You know, I can't, um, I can't see it because it's there all over, irony or humor or whatever. So I, I don't, um, uh, I'm, I'm not that conscious about it, and I don't consider myself as an ironic person. But I'm, I'm sure I use it all the time. Um, I, I know I use it on stage when I'm performing as a musician, as a lead singer. I, um, I tend to, as Nick puts it, um, s- say things I don't mean in a way of expressing what I mean. You sometimes give the audience grades, right? Yeah, I, um, I have a way of speaking to the audience um, that is sometimes, you know, sometimes I yell at them. I scold them for being a bad audience and tell them, uh, you, you could do better than this. Uh, can feel free to do it here yeah, as well. Yeah, what yeah. <laughs> what's wrong with you? I can't hear you. Can't hear you. Oh. D, D minus, I think, Simon. Huh? D minus. <laughs> yeah, I think so. D minus, yeah. And uh, then when we do that, and like we did now, we make a sort of uh, a contract together. Because everybody in this tent knows uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not serious. And when I... Uh, I really I, wait, wait, think when, they're a D-minus audience. <laughs> and when I'm on stage playing music, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to express how much I love being there. I love playing for these people. I love that they have come to see the show. But um, I, I, I'm not a person who says that. Why I, not? I can't, I can't why say... Not, I don't know why. Maybe Generation X, I don't know. I, I just can't say, oh, it's so good to be here. I love you. You look so fantastic. Well, I say the opposite. <laughs> you see? What a stupid it's, audience. It's, it's very, it, that's an interesting point because I, I think to not use irony um, turns you into Celine Dion um, <laughs> or, or, or somebody like this. You know, it's yeah. like pure showbiz. Like, she means it less than we do. I think so, yeah. I, I, for me, it's to a way To say that of, everyone looks beautiful. For me, it's and, a way yeah. of getting closer to people and pulling us together and making, like, a, a, a mutual code. Yes, uh, yeah. We, we make a code when, when, when we can make fun and say things through um, irony. And, and you're also saying, if you understand this and I understand you, then you are in the right place, yep. I am in the right place. Exactly. Everyone exactly. else can stay outside. 
It might also be uh, a way to sort of deal with cliché, that you don't want to say the cliché becomes corny to, to say what everybody says from stage, so you want to twist it. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and um, it's a way of playing with the format. And a rock show, a rock concert has a very strict format, um, which, which uh, for me invites uh, playing with it and uh, making fun uh, and then... And, and, you know, molding it. But at the same time, I think it's also important to, to honor the structure and not all, all the time be joking and be make, making people un, uh, <coughs> unsure what is going to happen now. Uh, uh, for instance, I hate when uh, musicians, they, uh, they, they have this uh, urge to um, not play by the, the structure when it comes to... Uh, um, encore. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you play the last song and then you go out and people cheer if you did just a decent job. And then you come in and then you play a couple of, of songs uh, as encore. And some musicians have a tendency to, uh, to, to fuck with that and say, normally we would go out, but it's so boring, so maybe we should just stay in and we just... Uh, <laughs> and that's that's misunderstood in my book. Uh, you, some, I think some that they you have to themselves to to be ironic in that situation. Mm -hmm. right? Maybe, know. yeah, but I'm not. I can't. You strike know. me as the kind of person that I would imagine that many people get insecure about. Are you being ironic now, or are you being sincere? And not right now, but in general. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's true. Uh, uh, of course, I know that it is. Um, it has a it, it has a backside when you uh, are known for making characters, uh, comic uh, comic characters, and uh, making comedy, and also making music, and going in and out of, uh, of being me. Then there is a risk of. Uh, being making the, the audience unsure when when do I mean what I say when am I me um, and um, it's important for me to to also uh, not joke around with everything all the time but I'm I'm pretty sure that the, the people who've been following me closely um, they know when I'm sincere and when I'm uh, when I'm ironic uh, so I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not that concerned about that. Uh, if I were, and if I, if I thought about that all the time, I couldn't say anything. No. You know. I think um, <clears throat> being able to control the irony is is part of the job. In fact, so that that thing about people must know when you're not joking around anymore. Um, I remember somebody telling me that they'd spent some time with a very famous comedian towards the end of his life, and um, he was not well, and he kept saying he wasn't well. And every time he said it, people laughed more backstage, you know. And uh, they, it was like he'd lost control of his own life through being a comedian. Yeah. And, of, of course, that's something that frightens us, I think. And um, I want people to know the difference between when I'm being po-faced, when I'm being uh, ironic, when I, when I actually am being sincere. And that's part of my job 
when I'm writing novels is, is, is to make sure that people know the right parts. But that's also, uh, that has to do with what you said before. It's a way of uh, conveying what you actually mean. Yes. And I, I read your uh, latest book, um, and um, I'm, 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 uh, I'm positive I know what you want to tell me about these characters and, and uh, how they feel. At, but often they, they, you, you, uh, you tell it through uh, comic situations and, uh, and ironic situations. I don't know how to do it differently, really. Mm -hmm. <coughs> it seems to me sometimes that if you, wouldn't, if you don't use irony at all, then you've only got four pages of a book. Uh, <laughs> because people say what they mean to each other, and then they say, okay, I understand. I'll see you next week, you know? Um, the end. Uh, whereas saying things in a complicated way, being misunderstood, having conversations where people get the wrong end of the stick, um, that, that, that's not only our lives, but that's the source of enormous amounts of both drama and comedy. And that's what I... Uh, I think when you, when we talk about, is is the uh, irony or the humor, does it does it cloud who you are, uh, or, um, and that I don't think uh, I I hope for me from in my case, people are not um, in doubt in terms of what I mean. You know I, uh, that I have uh, values that are this and this and this, but. Sometimes what I say and how I say it can be, you, you can be in doubt. Uh, is that for real or is that ironic? Mm -hmm. but, um, but I think uh, the, the meaning is, uh, is intact. Ideally, there's a code to irony. You have sort of ironic markers where you uh, try to, to, to make sure that people get that this is ironic. But on the other hand, uh, being uh, poker-faced about it is sort of, Better. It works better that way. It's, it's more efficient, it's more sharp when you just have a blunt face and you sort of bet on that, that people get it. And sometimes they don't. Uh, you told me that on Instagram your irony doesn't always... Uh... <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I was, I was saying to Torben before that my, my son um, turned 18 last week and I put a photo of him up on Instagram and said, this is a an important day for me. This is my last day as a parent uh, because my children are now 18, 19, I am done. And um, so many people commented on Instagram, oh, you're not done. Um, you've got a lot of parenting left to go. And you think, yes, thank you, thank you. It was a joke. Um, and the, the That's an uh, F minus. Huh? F minus. F minus. <laughs> yeah, my Instagram followers. Um, but it, it's, um, it, it is a problem of social media because we were saying that you are the people in the tent, we understand you and everyone else is outside it, but social media is full of people who are not in your tent and don't check themselves before they respond. Mm. Um, they, will, they will try and make a joke about a joke. You say, no, it was a joke in the first place, mm. we don't need another joke now. <laughs> I'd like to uh, call in example number one, um, uh, and I would like you to, to read it aloud yeah. in English, and we have it here in, in Danish. It's, uh, it's an excerpt from your novel, High Fidelity. Um, it's not ironic, but it's about irony. Um, 
Yeah, so, I, I was very shocked when you gave me this piece because I just started to say to Torben, I have nothing to say about irony. I don't know anything about it. And then this is from the beginning of my first novel. Uh, and it's, it begins, we were 12 or 13 and had recently discovered irony. I thought, oh, I, I actually am an expert. I started explaining it at a very early stage in my career. We were 12 or 13 and had recently discovered irony, or at least what I have later understood to be irony. We only allowed ourselves to play on the swings and the roundabout and the other kids' stuff rusting away in there if we could do it with a sort of self-conscious, ironic detachment. This involved either an imitation of absent-mindedness, whistling or chatting or fiddling with a cigarette stub or a box of matches usually did the trick, or a flirtation with danger, so we jumped off the swings when they could go no higher, jumped onto the roundabout when it would go no faster, hung on to the end of the swing boat until it reached an almost vertical position. If you could somehow prove that these childish entertainments had the potential to dash your brains out, then it became okay somehow. We had no irony when it came to girls, though. I remember when I was in sixth grade, we actually stopped just swinging back and forth on the swings. It was these kind of swings with, with car tires. And we would start playing what we call stock car, where we would just bump violently into each other and it was supposed to hurt as much as possible. And that was sort of the same situation. We were, no, we were trying to establish no longer being a kid, no longer While being... While still being on the swings. Still being on the swings, and that's the double-sidedness double yeah. of it. Um, yeah, you're not, you're not reading Dickens in the corner. You're still playing <laughs> yeah. on the swings, yeah. But, yeah, but there is this, this uh, pubescent age where you're just, uh, you're sort of, you're trying to play with being adult or being something else than a kid, but you're still just a kid. Well, I think it's, it's kind of the big problem of our lives and our adult lives is how do we occupy our own skins with sincerity and authenticity. We're always stepped outside a little bit, looking at ourselves, looking at other people. And I think that this is, um, it, it's, it's sort of a parallel to, to what uh, Simon was saying about um, uh, concert cliches and, and the whole, maybe the whole uh, 90s irony where you would put everything in, in air brackets mm. and, and you would have sort of, you would, uh, at least in Denmark, you would sort of uh, play with your uh, childhood's uh, stars. Yeah, and you yeah. would go back and watch them half ironically, half with, with love. You would sort of stay in that sort of the, the childlike state and at the same time having an ironic distance because now you were adults. I, yeah, I was thinking that... Um one of the problems with politicians is that they cannot afford to be ironic. Um, they have to try and be sincere. And when they are sincere, we know they are lying. Um, <laughs> that sincerity becomes lying straight away. Whereas we've always got the choice of not telling the truth in a different way. Well, when you speak of politics, we have a very interesting president in Ukraine at the moment. Yeah, who's actually was a comedian. A, a comedian. And He's not laughing now. <laughs> but there's a... 
there's a great irony to the to his whole career that yeah. he was starring in a show about but, becoming a president, uh, and then he became the president. And then he became a president. And, yeah. But I mean, sometimes you can actually sense that he's a comedian. I mean, he has these one-liners. We don't want what was what did he say? We don't want something. We want weapons. Uh, or, yes. Yes. Yeah. No. He, he crafts his lines for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, anyway. My, uh, my joke about him came from a very famous one-liner, actually, by an English comedian, uh -huh. um, which I've always loved. And his one-liner was, they used to laugh when I said I wanted to be a comedian. They're not laughing now. <laughs> Let me just briefly sketch out three types of irony. So there's the verbal irony, where you say, uh, something that you don't mean, that the, the naive version is you say the opposite of what you mean, but of course it can also be saying something else, or as we have already established, yeah. uh, something ambivalent between what you mean and what you don't mean. Um, there's also uh, situational irony, where a situation becomes ironic, even though one, no one intended it to. The tragic example could be uh, the sinking of Titanic, the unsinkable ship. It's not funny, but it is ironic. Um, and um, the third kind is dramatic irony, uh, where you have, in a fiction, you have characters that are not aware of the irony of what they're saying. But, but you can see as a reader or a spectator... Yeah, that I think that's irony. what I use the most, yes, is, is, of course. A, is the yeah. dramatic irony. So I know it's ironic, but they don't know it's ironic. And hopefully the reader knows as well. So it's, that's like the contract between me and the audience con contract between me and the reader, that the characters are oblivious to the irony of their situation. And I'd like to play a very famous example that many of you will know, but it's a really good example of dramatic irony. If we could have example number two, um, it's um, from Life of Brian, Monty Python's Life of Brian. That was number one. That, that you're both familiar with this hugely ironic uh, scene from, from Life of Brian. Yes, it's brilliant. It's, yeah. it's so brilliant because it works on, on different levels, yeah. the irony. It keeps on twisting one more time, and the, the guy saying, I'm not, of course, is the only individual uh, who, who refuses to be so. Mm. Well, uh, I mean, that's one of the things I love about comedy, that it, it, it's usually, I think, a lot more sophisticated than say, literary fiction, where people take a long time to say what they mean um, in a very po-faced and unhumorous way. Um, 
But that, that scene there is so brilliantly crafted. The one voice saying, I'm not. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, and, 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 and you think about it a long time afterwards, I think. Yeah, because it's, uh, it's very critical. It has the role of showing the whole problem of, of masses uncritically idolizing and following a leader yeah. and so on. And that is also, actually, the whole film is about that, of course, uh, being a parallel to the, the story of Jesus and, and, um, and the birth of a religion. Um, I remember uh, at uh, a different festival, Roskilde Festival, uh, in 1996, there was a, a concert with uh, Rage Against the Machine, and um, the lead singer, Zach, he encouraged the audience to, to sing along to the chorus of the great song, Killing in the Name. So there were 40,000 people obeying him and singing, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. And I looked around and I wondered, am I the only one who sees the irony in this situation? You were that guy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I won't. <laughs> I was in the middle of the crowd and I loved the concert, but um, this was a hugely ironic moment for did me. Did you sing? Uh, I didn't sing along. I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I, I thought it was too ironic. I, was <laughs> I, I sing along to it all the time uh, 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 at home, but, but not you, there, I couldn't. You should have done it just after everyone else had finished. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something like that, yeah. So, um, do you think of, so this is sort of a, a critical element of irony. Do, do you see, uh, we've talked about your own use of irony, do you see sort of a, a critical element in, in, in your own use of irony? By, by critical, you mean? So this is critical of following a leader. Oh, uh, okay. Yes. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a, easy, it's a good way of um, shedding light to what goes on in society uh, from a different angle than in the, in the normal political debate of existential or religious or whatever. You could say this, this was... Uh, uh, connected to, uh, it's it's a good way of um, of showing. Oh, you could also see see it from this angle. Mm. And um, when I was uh, doing Drangefang uh, Goa, um, we had the, it was this uh, TV show, mm -hmm. uh, huge uh, best TV show a comedy TV, uh, TV show in Denmark ever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just telling <laughs> I, I'm, I, you know, I'm telling And Nick everyone Hornby claps when he says it, so stuff. it must be true, right? I'm telling it as it is, to yeah. Nick Hornby. And um, we had this, um, we actually, we, we, we stopped uh, sending uh, or airing the, the, the show. And then a uh, couple of years, actually, I think it was uh, after that, in, in the show we had this... Um, this spoof uh, cycling team called Team Ezion, uh, which was, <laughs> which was, um, which which was, it was aiming for the Tour de France, uh, like uh, two riders. Uh, I was playing a, a drug addict uh, from uh, Holland, um, <laughs> and uh, of course they never they never got to a Tour de France, but they also always considered themselves as a big cycling team. So, when uh, in the real cycling world, uh, it, happens, uh, it happens so that uh, Bjarne Ries, the, the Danish star, cycling, uh, cycling star, he went out and he confessed, I've been taking doping. Which everybody knew at the time. Everybody he, knew, he but he went admitted. on TV, it was a big uh, press conference, 
and he was uh, sitting there, uh, weighed down by guilt, and saying, I took April. And uh, just right after that, and I think the timing was essential in this, uh, in this instance. It was great, yeah. Maybe one day or two days after that, we made a press conference with Timizion <laughs> that confessed <laughs> taking doping <laughs> in, in a massive, massive uh, way. And that, that clip went viral. It did. It was, it was so it great. It did. And I think, it, of course, it was, uh, it, it was funny in itself, we thought, at least. But also, it, um, I think it, made, it, it, it shed some light on the, on the, on the, on the, real, on the, on the um, events in the real world. Exactly. Not, yeah. not only to bang Bjarne Ries in the head, also just actually to be a little um, gentle on him. To also to see the the, 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 the the irony in it all, and you know, not be so serious. But you've also got the brilliant joke of everyone knew he was doping, everyone yeah. knew you were doping. Uh, I think and so, yeah. Both press conferences were completely redundant. Exactly. But yeah. yours was the only funny one. Yeah. <laughs> the other one was funny too, actually. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> now, um, I would like to call in example. Nick, you brought in an example from a song called yeah. Smoke by yeah. Ben Folds 5. Yeah. We'll have the lyrics on the screen in a moment. Um, do you want to say anything before we play it? Yeah. Um, first of all, there's an ironic story about my relationship with Ben Folds. Um, I, we've worked together a couple of times. Um, we wrote an album together called Lonely Avenue. I wrote the words and, and Ben Folds wrote the music. But our first point of contact, I was a big fan, and I wrote about this song um, in my book, 31 Songs. Um, and, um, and I used it as an example of Ben's brilliant lyrical gifts, which he does have. He has brilliant lyrical gifts. Um, album after album after album, song after song after song, great lines, great characters. And um, I got an email from him, this was the first contact, saying, you know, I really appreciate uh, what you said. He said, I think of, um, I've written, there's about 80 songs on my album so far. I only didn't write the words to one of them, this one. Uh, <laughs> so the one I'd chosen was the one he hadn't written. Um, <laughs> and um, it, it, it's this song called Smoke, which builds on a, a great line from William Faulkner, um, which, where Faulkner says, the past isn't past, uh, the past isn't even past. And the whole song is a riff on this idea that the, the narrator is trying to say, it's okay, it's all good, it's all finished. Um, then he says, stop and smell the smoke, because it's all burning. But of course, the fire is the past, the smoke is the past, and I thought it was a great example, not only of irony, but of what we have to live with as people. However often we try and pretend that we're turning a page, we carry the past with us all the time. And of course, it's what we deal with as writers, is how people's pasts catch up with them, affect them, the baggage that we, we carry around. But I, I love the passion of the singer saying, you keep saying the past's not dead. Well, stop and smell the smoke. I, I think it's a perfect ironic line. Let's hear Smoke by Ben Folds 5. <laughs> 
sadness, all the rage Throw this book away Rip out the binding and tear the glue And all of the grief we never even knew We had it all along Now it's Well done, Ben. Um, I, don't, I, I don't suppose in Denmark that anyone's ever had a relationship that goes wrong in any way. No, um, we don't have that here. And you don't have divorce, no, no. or you don't have... No, no. But I think any, anyone who has been in a relationship um, or a marriage will appreciate the irony of saying, this is gone, this is over. Um, we will never talk about it again because it haunts you. It haunts your entire relationship, what somebody did wrong 15 years ago. Um, it's all in there and we have to deal with it all the time. Still, it's, it's a quite subtle irony um, uh, compared to Monty Python or what have you. Uh, and also, well, I, was, I, I didn't know I wasn't allowed to do subtle irony. <laughs> Um, I, I, uh, I checked it out uh, on like uh, song meanings and, yeah, yeah. and genius lyrics on the internet. No one got the irony. No one got the irony. All, this, no. is, this is a guy who's totally over his girlfriend. It's because it's, uh, <laughs> that was all uh, Nick Hornby's followers. Huh? It was, it was only Nick Hornby's followers uh, who was writing it. <laughs> yeah, my, my thick ones on yeah, Instagram, yeah. 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 Um, I, I, I wanted to tell a little story about the, the first time I worked with with Ben, uh, he, after this email where he pointed out that he hadn't actually written the words of this song, his first wife wrote them, um, he asked if I was interested in writing any lyrics, and I, I said, yeah, I've never done it, but, um, you know, to, to do something like that would be a, a dream for me. And he said, great, because I'm making an album for William Shatner of Star Trek. Um, will you write him two songs? And I thought, oh, okay, it wasn't quite what I had in mind. But, um, and I wrote a song called That's Me Trying, which is about a very bad dad um, who's lost all contact with his grown-up kids and is now desperately and rather pathetically trying to make up for it later on in life and suggests all sorts of things like, well, let's not talk about the past. Let's, let's re both read a book and talk about the book, um, things like that. And I wrote this, and William Shatner seemed to really like it. And in my, um, in my version, I think the, uh, the narrator had two sons. And William Shatner changed it to two daughters. And that was because he had two daughters, he wanted it to be about He him. wanted it to be about his daughters, and they got incredibly offended because actually he'd been a very bad dad and hadn't really <laughs> kept in touch with them. And then sung, well, spoke this song, which just dug his own grave. And I thought, oh, that's just brilliant. You know, that he, he made it more about himself 
even though the character was terrible and it would upset people. <laughs> That's hugely ironic. Yeah. Um, Simon, you also have an example um, in, the, in the series called Guru that you made, that I hope many of you have watched. It's really good. Um, you play... Uh... <laughs> Nick is a great fan of this Big Guru fun. series. Um, in this series, you play a co coaching guru who returns to his hometown, Singapore. Uh, how would you describe his character? Um, I thought about him when you talked about your characters before. He's um, completely oblivious uh, and um, not, not able to see how lost he is. Of course, he, he's not able to see that. But he's really lost and he's really desperate uh, for answers and uh, formulas to, to live his life by. And he, he seeks them uh, at his own uh, life coach, his mentor. And, um, and they are basically internet one-liners. Uh, success is buried at the other side of rejection, <laughs> for example. He gets like slogans like this that people print out and hang up on their wall. Uh, he, he gets them into his head like, like a Bible. So he goes home to his uh, hometown, Silgeborg, which, which he has re returned to, and start his own, starts his own life coaching practice. Um, and mm -hmm. preaches to people, even though he's really lost himself. Yeah, he's supposed to tell people how to live the good life, and he's yeah. completely uh, <laughs> inept at it himself. Um, in the last episode, um, there is a situation which is quite tense that you told me uh, is inspired by real events. Um, yeah, it's um, actually it was one of the first scenes we knew we were we were gonna um, we, we we were gonna build up to when we started writing it, because um, throughout these six episodes, my 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 character's best friend becomes his client, his life coaching client. And he, he continues to fill his best friend's head with ideas about uh, not being fulfilled as a human being. He's not, he's not fulfilled his potential, mm -hmm. mainly because he stayed with his wife. <laughs> right. So my character is increasingly uh, um, trying to get his best friend to leave his family, to leave his wife. And um, we saw me and the other writers, uh, Rasmus Horskia and um, actually my wife, Stina Ellerbeck, we saw this uh, documentary on Netflix about the, the American guru, uh, Tony Robbins. Um, it's called I Am Not Your Guru. It's, it's called I'm Not Your Fucking Guru. I don't think so, <laughs> not anymore, not on okay, Netflix. It was. <laughs> and we saw a scene in this documentary where this life coach uh, at an event in Florida uh, with like three, five thousand people in a room, he um, he says to people, if you uh, if you feel unsatisfied in your life, um, get up. Different people get up. Then he takes one woman. Uh, what is uh, what's your name? And then he starts coaching her in in the audience, and he asks about her her relationship. He tells he tells us she tells us uh, she she has a boyfriend. And he scratches a little bit in that 
in the surface of that relationship and gets her to say she's not satisfied. And then through five minutes, whatever it takes, he makes her decide to take the phone up, call her boyfriend and say, I break up in front of everybody. And when we saw that, we said to each other, this is the scene it ends with in our show. Mm -mm -mm. My character makes his best friend stand up in the audience and uh, call his wife in front of everybody and say, I, I, I'm leaving. And perhaps if they're ready out in the back, let's see example 5-1. Find nogle svar frem i sig selv. Hvad siger I? Hvad er så noget? Undskyld, hvad? Det er et spørgsmål om at tage handling på tingene. Det ved vi jo godt. Så jeg vil gerne bede dig om at tage din telefon frem. Jeg vil gerne bede dig om at tage din telefon frem. Du ved godt, hvad du er nødt til at gøre. Nej, ikke her. Vi ved alle sammen herinde, hvad du er nødt til at gøre. Hvorfor vente med at give din kone den besked, som du lige har? modtaget fra dig selv. Det føles ubehageligt for Ralf lige nu. Det er et sted, som Ralf normalt har rejected at gå hen. Men hvad er det, der ligger begravet der? Succes. Det er succes. Må jeg høre sige det? Hvad ligger der begravet der? Succes. Tag din telefon frem og handle på det. Du er nødt til at gøre det. Kom så. Så gør, hvad der skal gøres. Lad os lige få lidt ro til det her. Ha, hej, Mus. Øhm. Hej, far. Øhm. Kan, kan, må, må, må jeg lige snakke med mor, skal der? Ja. Lige hurtigt. Hvor er det far? Det er far. Hej, hvad er så? Hej. Øhm. Jeg, skal lige, jeg skal lige sige noget til dig. Er øh. det stadigvæk hjemme, Andreas eller hvad? Nej, øh, det er jeg ikke. Øhm... Kan du sidde ikke snart komme hjem? Har du ikke tænkt nok, eller hvad? Prøv, 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 prøv at høre, jeg, jeg, jeg har lige noget... Du, du, du skal lige høre efter nu. Helle, jeg... Øh, Helle, det er slut. Det, det er... Hør nu efter! Det er slut. Jeg, jeg, jeg går... Jeg siger... At jeg går fra dig. Jeg siger... Jeg siger, at det er slut, og det, og det er nok været... Det, og det, er du sammen med Andreas lige nu? Ja, men det er ikke der. Det er ikke noget med... Det er ham, der har fået dig til at sige det her. Nej, det er mig, der siger det til dig nu. Og hold nu, hold nu mund og hør efter. Det, det er slut, og det er, går ondt nu, men det skal nok be, også blive bedre. Uh, one of the things you do in Guru is you make his daughter pick up the phone, which actually makes it... It makes it worse. Yeah. It makes it a lot worse because he's not only breaking up a relationship, but a whole family. Mm -hmm. um, so it is, a, it is a sort of a drama comedy show, and it, it's, it's funny, it's, it's, it's a parody, it's satirical, yeah. but, but this is actually also quite moving. In this moment, that when you realize what he's about to do, it's so clear. And, and the, the daughter says, uh, Mommy, it's daddy on the mm. phone. Mm -hmm. 
and and he's listen. in this room full of people listening to his uh, his breakup yeah. with his family. Uh, it's quite dark, actually. It is, and uh, it, it, and it, that's the intention that it should be not fun at all. Um, <laughs> it's television, after all. <laughs> because uh, and then, um, but at the same time, other other um, places, other situation in this show is is ridiculous and uh, just uh, yeah, stupid st stupid scenes uh, alongside scenes like this, and um, that's that's been the whole idea for me to to create a show that is that is um, comic and tragic at the same time and, and allows itself to be that. That's why also, by the way, I fought so many years to, uh, to realize it because um, it's, an, it's, a, it's a strange uh, genre. Um, some people actually talk about feel-bad comedy as sort of this type of... It's, it's, it's dark, it's moving and it's funny at the same time. Um, the question actually remains if if it was right of Brian Lucas' character to break up with his wife because it's they are seemingly not very happy and he is very flirtatious and you know I mean I'm not sure that it is not the right thing I'm just pretty sure it's not the right way mm -hmm. that he does it. Yeah, but uh, that's that's why it's interesting to uh, to um, to. You know, tell tell stories about it. That it's because it's not uh, right or wrong. I don't know if it's right. There was some uh, some uh, one one of the members of the technical crew on, on this uh, show. Um, on the way home, shooting everything, finishing everything, who was who was like, uh, ah, that was good for Ralph, the character Ralph. That was good. He made the right decision, I, and I was like, "Are you kidding me? Did, didn't you shoot everything?" Uh, uh, but it's, it, it shows that it's for for debate, um, and, and that's good. I think that it's not. I, I um, recently have written a couple of TV series about um, couples having marital therapy uh, called "States of the Union." Oh, thank you. Um, but they never go into the room. The, the program is about the 10 minutes before they go into the mm. uh. room. And so everything is a mess. They're trying to sort out what they want to talk about. They're trying to sort out what happened last week and also the week of life that's happened in between. And I suppose the irony to a certain extent is that the important work is being done in these 10 minutes before they spend an hour talking mm. about their marriage. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it... It was the same thing. The crew uh, were asking me, Is it, are they doing the right thing? You know, I won't spoil it. There are two seasons and they both have different outcomes. And both times the crew said, do you think they're doing the right thing? And I said, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It is it's a my, difficult question. It's my job to present the material. It's not really my job to say, and, yeah, it was all fine. Mm -hmm. um. The time is running out, and I don't have an ironic comment to, to end with. Um, I'll just uh, thank you both, uh, Simon Kwam and Nick Hornby, for coming here. Thank you to the audience for being here. Yeah, thank have you. a nice festival. Thank you.
You have been listening to a Heartland podcast. The talk was recorded live at Heartland Festival 2022 and is presented in collaboration with Politikens Vorlag. We hope that the talk has provided insights and perspective and that you're inspired to check out our other podcasts. They can be found on our website or where you usually listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.